And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I preview the Sixers' second-round series against the Atlanta Hawks. Talking about some of the keys for the Sixers if Joel Embiid does miss time because of his torn meniscus, about how the Sixers should defend the Trey Young pick-and-roll, the importance of keeping Clint Capella off of the offensive glass, and how they can attack Atlanta's defense. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat, where you can get a discount on a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network, now getting ready for Sunday's opener to the second round playoff series against the Hawks. How you doing, Rich? I'm great. I am uh, I'm excited to uh, to get in to, I would say, a second round playoff matchup that nationally probably isn't getting a lot of buzz, considering the other matchup in the East is... Yep. Pretty good, and the Sixers have a pretty big, uh, pretty big question mark going on. Uh, I, I guess that's kind of like the first thing we can talk about a little bit. It's just like a prediction on this series is useless. Yeah, there's so many ifs, and you couch it in so many different ways that it, it's it's. I mean, we just wrote an article, sort of previewing the, ser- the series, and we made predictions, and it's like it was the shrug emoji that I have no idea. Um, is Joel Embiid healthy? How many games does he play? Does he miss two games and come back for the entire series? Or does he play a game, miss a game, play two games, miss a game, and you never really have a chance to game plan? Does he look Ugh. like his MVP self? Um, is he a liability defensively because he's in space and he can't move like he usually can? Is he dominant offensively? Does he get Capella in foul trouble? There's so many different variables, and all of it comes back to the big guy and what he is able to do. Look, I, I think we mentioned last time, if... Embiid doesn't play at all. It's pretty close to a toss-up. If the Sixer, if Embiid is healthy, I think it's a competitive five, which means that it's could be five balls bounce one way. It could be six. Um, you know, if 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 Atlanta gets a couple of breaks or if Trey Young just has too many games where he's completely losing his mind, I think the official prediction I gave is Sixers in six because I expect Embiid to come back for at least a couple games and look decent. I still have concerns over having a long playoff run, but I don't think he sits this one out. But it's uh, it's the shrug emoji personified. It really is. Yeah, I, I am leaning the same way you are. If you think it's a toss-up in general, even if you go Hawks and six or seven and you think it's a toss-up, if you get Embiid for even a couple games and he is, even if he's like 70% of himself, I, I think that's enough to tip the scales in the Sixers' favor in those latter games. So, you know, when it comes to this injury, I am very interested to see how they, they handle this. And I guess my, my main question would be how much does the initial time off matter? Right? Because if you are looking at this as we're trying to make the finals here, like that's, you know, beating the Hawks is great, but 
if we don't have Embiid at a high level for the next series, it doesn't really matter. I mean, sure. we could say we made the conference finals. That They can say they made the conference finals. I'm kind of talking like I am them, even though I am not. You are not. No. The uh, I might have yeah, taken so, you as a coach over Eddie Jordan, though. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> There's no need to get an Eddie Jordan dig in there, but I just I couldn't Thank, help myself. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate yeah. it. The uh, so so if they look at this as more of a long term thing, how much does the initial rest matter? Because you know if you talk to you know the Sixers or a doctor or somebody, they they think that Embiid. This is a lot of this is just discomfort and swelling, and how much of an issue that is going to play when. Uh, when you don't need surgery from from the meniscus tear, uh, presumably Joel Embiid was in a decent amount of pain because he sat out those last two games. My question is the initial seat that he takes for how long it is. Does that matter? Like, is it a huge difference between sitting him for four games versus one game? Like, like, does Are you that talking about his ability to play through it for an extended period of time? Like, that's what I mean. Long- like, yeah. like, like, is that initial time out if you can? It extended four games, and when I say four games, there are two two game abs or two day absences yep. in between games two and three and games three and four. So, so I guess my point is, if that is a big deal, if if getting that extra five to six days of rest, whatever it is, provides him a runway to be healthier for the following series, makes the game to game discomfort, which is what he's going to have to deal with, like you know you. you your knee swells up a little bit and you got to play the next game. That's what is going to be expected of him at some point. I, I would almost argue like the first two games in Philadelphia, they, they're they the two biggest games of the Sixers season. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's this weird spot where you're the home team and you're just hoping to split. If you can just split and you get Embiid for three and four and hopefully from there on out, you're feeling pretty confident about your chances. You think you can go in Atlanta, split in Atlanta. Oh, that building hasn't always been kind to them. Um, not the house of horrors that Washington and the Capitol one arena is, but that's house of they horrors have, for a different reason. They have such weird house of horrors. They by do. The way. They do. Orlando last year was just oh my God. bizarre. Bizarre. I, I would rather play not only Orlando, golden but then state, the bubble. Yeah. They would rather play golden state with Durant and all those guys <laughs> at Oracle than against Evan Fournier and Amway center. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Although I like Amway center. I really like having the parking garage attack and nobody cares. Um, <laughs> It was really convenient, though. Anyway, um, yeah. Where was I going before I started talking about parking? Split, and splitting the first two games. Yeah, if you can split the first two games, get your own beat and beat back, you feel pretty good about where you are. But let's, I guess, because we don't know what the availability is going to be like, let's move on to actual basketball talk. Well, well, can I can I add one more thing too? If yep. you win the first two games, oh, that would sitting be pretty. Yep, massive. Because then you could sit them for a third game, and then the the rest of the fourth game. I mean, we're talking. If they were able to sit him out for three games, that would mean he would be able to not play a game for a whole two weeks. Yeah, in between his last injury, uh, that that seems like a lot of time. It seems like enough time for where, like, we'll know, like, if you're not healthy by now, like, it's 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 gonna be go time. I I, I would just say, like, I, I do expect him to play at some point in the series because I think they're frankly going to need him at some point in this yeah. series to no, uh, I agree. I agree. To win. It's just it's just when is it happening, you know? I mean, hey, hey man, it could be does he feel great and can he play tomorrow? I don't know. I I kind of don't think so, but we'll uh we'll see how that goes. So I guess schedule if you haven't seen it yet, uh the schedule is Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. 
So that is sort of the uh, timeline there. Like you mentioned, you have two days off, Wednesday and Thursday between games two and games three. You then have Saturday and Sunday off between games three and games four. So you have a lot of time there where there's only, you know, one game in, um, you know, six days, uh, which is, again, if you can get Joel Embiid to that point and Sixers still be competitive in that series, that would be great. Sunday's game is the afternoon, the one o'clock on ABC. Then a pair of 7.30 starts for games two and three. Four through seven uh, have not been scheduled time-wise. So that's what we're looking at. Uh, let's start off and assume that Joel Embiid isn't going to play in game one. And I, I'm not reporting that. I'm not really basing that on anything. I'm just trying to steer the conversation and how we talk about the series in a direction. I want to get that. It's not very. Man, it, is, it, it is not fun with, with this massive no, hypothetical. Not. No, it's not. Um, but let's, well, I guess if Embiid is out, what are you looking for on how the Sixers can steal a game or two in Philadelphia? What are the keys in your eyes, Rich? Hmm. I mean, some of it is just like intangible. Some of it is that crowd's going to be rocking, trying to will, will them to get a win. Some of it is the Sixers are a more veteran team than the Hawks. And I, I forget who first made this comparison, but I, I agree with it and I've stolen it. I think I used it in our piece as well. It feels a little bit like the 2018 second round series between the Celtics and the Sixers. Where the Sixers, the Sixers are the Hawks. Yeah. The Sixers are the Celtics now, basically. Yeah. See us cries uh, right now. That's what is going on. I mean, RIP to that that era of Celtics basketball. But the Sixers can take up that uh that the mantle of that team without Al Horford this time. The uh with Dwight Howard in Al Horford's place, I guess, which is pretty funny. But yeah, they are the more veteran team with their own injury issues to their stars. But a lot of these guys have played in the second round and know what that entails. Where the Hawks, like they have some role players who have, have played in the playoffs, but their main guys, this is their first taste. And they they had a great series against the Knicks, but this is a step up in competition, like from a coaching standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. Um, so, so I guess without Embiid, my first question is, how much does Dwight Howard play? What do the Sixers do when they go small? Because I, I guess like when you're looking at the Hawks. This is a, this is a matchup where Dwight can be a little bit scary. A little yeah. bit scary. Like you try to make him play that in-between game to either contest um, Trey on the perimeter or try to keep up with Capella as the role man. That could be tough on Dwight, for sure. For sure. You, you nailed it. That's exactly where I was going. If you play just normal drop pick-and-roll coverage, which, by the way, everybody plays, and the Sixers do a good job with, with Embiid and Dwight for the most part, like they're the second ranked defense in the league. So it's clearly not a weakness for them. And they no, have but Trey could Simmons go off for 35 a night. Well, this guy, I would say there are three players in the league. I looked at it on synergy. There are three players in the league who are by a mile, the highest pick and roll initiators. And they're the three guys you would expect. Dame, Luka, Trey and Steph. Dame oh. and Trey. No, okay. Steph, Steph works off the ball a little, a little yeah, more. And he, than, he does a lot of ISO too now. Mm-hmm. Those, those guys, I think they ran, I think the next guy was Ja. We're talking like 500 pick and roll possessions, all of them yeah. more than, than Ja. And they're all right around the same range and they're very efficient. And Trey against that drop pick and roll coverage, he's got some shit against it. He can, you know, if you go under, he can shoot from the, the logo as the, the New Yorkers got the C live as he took a bow afterwards. Great floater game if, you, if you're in between. Ultimate heel too. I'm really excited to see how he plays off of the Philadelphia. And, and, and for the love of God, don't do anything stupid. But I am really interested to see that back and forth between he and the Sixers fans because he is a he is growing into be one of the better heels in the uh, in the league. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The game five, the uh, the air in that, that building towards Russell Westbrook was like, it was like a little edgy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to get there with Trey right away. But if Trey has some good games early in the series and maybe he starts bowing to the Philadelphia crowd and and all those things, yeah, I, I could definitely see that being a fun um, subplot. But like has a great floater game. I think he shoots 47% on floaters on a ton of them. And but but then like like we said on the last pot, he has every pass in the book too. He has the lob to Capella. He has the the cross court bullet to uh, to the shooter in the opposite corner. He's you know he's he's got a lot of stuff and he's he's very crafty around the rim. So I, I guess my question is right because one of the ways I think you could theoretically stop Trey, or or if you're just looking at Trey, you say, well why don't we switch everything? Yeah. And you know what's funny? Like game five and with, with Embiid out, that's one where I think where that strategy becomes a lot more prominent. You put, I, I'll, it'll be interesting to see who they start in Embiid's place if he doesn't play. Do you put Thibel in there? Put Thibel on Trey initially on the ball, and then put Simmons on uh, Capella, and then you can switch everything. And be like, all right, look, if Capella wants to try to post up Thibel, like we'll live with that considering all of our other options. Yeah, and that's honestly, I think that's going to be a sneaky big part of it. Capella is going to probably play you know if mb doesn't play he's going to play against smaller matchups and capella is a very good player he is a monster on the offensive glass monster as a role man he's a great yeah great lob guy but and the sixers are going to gift him probably a huge advantage but it, it, it or could they possibly do the tobias harris thing where they say all right here's tobias harris like if if you're good you should be able to post up and score on him but Tobias Harris isn't like terrible in the yeah. post, you know, he's, he can hold his ground, but can Capella put enough fouls on him via the offensive rebounding or as the role man? But, you know, I think that's kind of the way you would think against Trey. You don't want to play conventional pick and roll defense against him where he gets to make the decision and see your help defense. And here's, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier. So the Sixers, like, let's say they did start Thibel. And they switch, which, by the way, they did not really do in that game five against Washington. Like, they, they did play the smaller lineup, but there wasn't as much switching as you would yeah. think. Whatever. I mean, Washington, who cares? Like, whatever. It didn't matter. Uh, but let's say they, they switch everything. Is this a matchup where, you know, if, if Trey Young is kind of the, the crux of this offense, he's the guy that you have to cut off, you know, to, to get through Atlanta— is Seth Curry that much more of a weaker defender on Trey Young than Danny Green? Yeah. It, and this is not a a knock on Trey, who is a phenomenal offensive player. It's just he's smaller. And, and some of these smaller guys, if you're small and you're not a very good defender, 
I, I don't know. Sometimes you can cover the gap a little bit compared to Ben Simmons, who almost has to like bend over to to guard Trey Young because like he's so he's so almost hard to find, like a running back uh, hiding behind an offensive line. I don't know. It, it, like I, you would rather have the length and the positive defender on them, but is it a complete disaster if Seth is guarding Trey? And that that is an important thing to me because, I mean, honestly, I think if I remember correctly, in the one game that Trey played and Simmons played. I believe they started that game for like a couple possessions with Seth yeah. on Trey. Now they were playing the the normal drop pick and roll coverage with Embiid and Trey kind of lit them up. They went to Danny Green pretty quickly. Uh I don't know. That that's an interesting thing. You uh I if I were them though, I would start small with whether it's Dybel, Hill, whatever you want to do. And I would switch probably 1 to 5. And let's see let's see Trey go one on one against some of these guys. Because I don't think he's he's capable of doing that, but he's not quite as good. And let's see if the Sixers can hold up, you know, against Capello on the offensive glass and, and get enough stops to get out and run. Yeah, uh, between that, you might see a little more trapping than they normally do. Uh, what you can't do is is that drop, especially when you don't have a, a rim protector in there. I do think this is a. I do think you start this one off small. You know, you have basically Seth Curry and four wingish players uh, switch a lot, trap a little bit. I don't really trust some of the Sixers. Backside defenders will rotate if they trap too much, uh, but I think you mix that in there from time to time, and you find a way to punish them on the other end. Whether that is, you know, Simmons has to be a little bit more aggressive, uh, taking Capella off the dribble. Uh, whether that is trying to get switches, you know, the one game because, like you mentioned, Trey Young missed a game, and the Sixers had a game where Trey Young played, but the Sixers were missing Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and I think it was Tobias. I think they're missing all three of them. So two of the three games weren't really representative of this series. The they were missing game, Matisse, Matisse and Shake in that game, too. That game was a joke. Yeah. That game, a, after that game was over, Doc was, they were so shorthanded and dealing with COVID. Doc, after that game, he was more concerned. He was like, what's, this, what's the football score? It was like the national championship yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. He just did not give a shit. Um, so there's only really one game you can look back to. In that game, uh, the Hawks were able to stick um, Trey on Danny Green for a large majority of it. And the Sixers mm-hmm. didn't really do a great job of trying to change that matchup, uh, no, that was a regular season game. The Sixers won that pretty handily. You don't game plan for it quite the same way you would. They have to do a better job of getting the matchups they want on the other end because Atlanta is going to score. No matter what the Sixers do, no matter how much they switch, no matter how much they blitz, no matter how much they change up their pick and roll coverage, Atlanta is going to score. The Sixers have to be successful on the other end. You know, that means getting Tobias and Ben on the matchups you want, having them be aggressive, having them convert. They will need to be be good on both sides. I, and you know what I said on the last pod, they might put Trey on Seth. I, I think they're absolutely going to put him on Danny yeah. to start. I, I, I wasn't thinking clearly there. And you know what's a little worrisome? Do you remember that Toronto series a couple years ago? Uh, with uh, of course you do because it was kind of a big series. But do you remember? Kind of, it was kind of our job. So yeah, I was I was yeah. there. It was, yeah, it was a little big. But do you remember the aspect of JJ got hit in on Danny pretty well yep. in that series? Now Danny just he was ice cold from three, like the whole Raptors team was, but. JJ did like the hard hedge thing for a couple of games and really Toronto kind of went away from that matchup. It was, it was a lot of Kawhi going one-on-one with Ben like he did. And, uh, which worked even yeah. though Ben played pretty good defense. Yeah. He looked, by the way, I, there were some bad flashbacks. Uh, and do you see that yeah. Dallas game last night? Yeah. There, there was some, <laughs> which is funny. Cause like for the first half of the series, he didn't necessarily look like himself. Uh, uh. he was incredible in that game. Incredible. It's- uh, Some of those moves he was pulling off, like the, the space he was creating with his yeah. handle, are just, uh, he's just lasering in these mid-range jumpers. Yeah. Oh, he is horrifying. <laughs> um, well, but he plays in the Western Conference now, so I guess we don't have to, to worry about him. 
for a little while. And if they do have to worry about him, it's a good thing. The, uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit worried about that. Can you can you find a way? And like in this way, I think a big part of it is going to be can the Sixers get enough stops to create the advantageous matchups? Because yep. like you know, Danny Green might be guarding Trey for a little bit. I, I don't know how Doc is going to handle it. It's funny in that third game that that was the only game that Trey and Ben both played together. Ben was not on anybody good. They they used him as a roamer on Solomon Hill the entire game, and they put. You know Seth and Danny and and honestly Matisse off the bench. They, that was when they were playing small ball off the bench. He was playing like Gallo. So re- really, not a lot you can take from the uh, from the season series, I would say. But uh, like if you have Ben on Trey, it's about getting a stop and making Trey guard Ben on the other end of the court. And Ben like. Uh, I know he wasn't as aggressive sometimes. Like there were some plays where Ish Smith or Neto or somebody that he had a huge, or even Beal, where he had a huge mismatch on. You kind of had to prod him to take them to the basket. If Ben gets Trey Young on him at any point in the half court, I'm sorry. Like this team is too good for you not to exploit that. Yep. You have to, and it doesn't have to be a a made basket because guess what the the Hawks, unlike the Wizards, like they'll actually play help defense. Like they'll actually have somebody show up. But that's how you have to create the open shots for the other guys. Yep. And uh, you have to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Um, all right. So overall, uh, backing up, I guess not looking just at Trey, but the rest of the Hawks team, uh, you've got a team that finished with the eighth ranked offense, the 21st ranked defense. They're, they're actually not a very fast paced team, uh, which I think you uh, wouldn't expect considering they are so offensively focused. Their defense, they're, they're all uh, bleh. Their three-point shooting is just kind of average, which, again, you don't really expect. You've got the two bombers in Young and Bogdanovich, uh, a couple of efficient, lower-volume guys. And then after that, they don't have a lot of shooting depth, so you really have to stay home on their elite shooters, Bogdanovich especially, especially when he's not only off-ball but running off of screens. Um, But outside of that, they don't have a ton of shot creation, uh, which is why Trey is relied upon so much. Defensively, though, they should be able to get pretty much whatever they want. And that's really like, I think a lot of people are going to compare the wizards and the Hawks and I get it to some degree. They're both offensively focused, I guess, but bad defensive teams. The comparison works because they are both bad defensive teams, but this is actually a good offensive team. Whereas the wizards just had a good offensive player or two, depending on the game. But this is a team that has much more of an identity that, that pick and roll with, with young is going to be real tough. Um, but if you can, if you can slow that down, um, I think you can certainly win Embiid or not Embiid. I think you can win that on the other end. But the benefit to Embiid, the one real big thing, if you can get Clint Capella in foul trouble, that changes the series pretty quickly. That is where I think Embiid's going to be missed a lot. Uh, I think, obviously, the offensive, the point scoring, generating open looks, but also just getting that guy in, in, in foul trouble, changing both their offense and their defense with Capella out. Um, that will be a key if you can get him back, for sure. It, it's also a big deal because one of their looks that they go to, and this did happen in that that third game, when when Trey Young did play, when Capella gets into foul trouble, one of their looks they they can do two things: they can play Onyeka Kongwu, who's a rookie, who's pretty promising player, but you know rookie. still still kind of a big guy, and a rookie, yes. Or they could play Collins at five. Yep. And Collins, Collins at five is a train wreck on defense. Collins at five is not doable against Embiid. He yep. just he murdered. I mean, in that game, the Sixers went on 
just a massive run when that happened. And they, they're they just scoring every time down the court. They're either Embiid's laying the ball in, getting fouled, or they're getting like literally a practice level three for somebody else. So if Embiid doesn't play, though, Collins at the five is a scary offensive unit. Yeah. You know, and that's, again, I wonder. Especially like, for a they, small ball unit because that team can offensive rebound a little bit. And I think it's something that you might have to switch. You know, it's – I've really like – like playing against John Collins – conservative pick and roll coverage i mean it, it's even different from capella where he's got the lob threat or he could pop and make an open three which is that's a little scary and honestly even if dwight is that guy you know dwight may, might be able to have some success on the offensive glass against that group but man having dwight make the decision between kind of trey young with the defender on his back and john collins popping at three that a that's a tough decision in general but b like i'm not sure i want dwight making that uh that call so they yeah. this is they, a, got, they this, got some stuff to them this is a series where the sixers both need dwight because they need his rebounding but also where dwight on the floor is pretty scary because of what they can do in space um yeah it'll, it'll be the, the five dynamic especially if mb doesn't play will be fascinating i do think all right so let's let's go for to a couple of predictions here and then we'll go to keys of the series first prediction who do you think starts game one george hill really I don't think you're wrong. Um, I think it's I think it's probably down to two people. It's George Hill or it is Matisse. Uh, if if George Hill starts, who who do you think starts off defending Trey Young? George Hill. Yeah, uh, I think I think they will have Ben as the big defender if Embiid isn't going. So I think it is going to be either George Hill or Matisse, whichever way they go. I think you probably do go George Hill because it gives you a little more shooting, a little bit more half court creation, uh, which I think is going to be key. Uh, and also, I think Doc just I mean he. George Hill played pretty well. Uh, he was he was solid in that last series. I, my concern with it, it, it could be Matisse. Like that's what, and I think it's, I I it's got to be one of those two, though. I think it's definitely one of those two. I guess what makes me feel better, maybe I shouldn't be uh, quite as decisive as me saying this, but hey, it's a podcast. You know, we don't want to make the people wait. And as as I I go through it, Doc said before the last game that he spent like ten hours trying to figure out who the starter was. Now he didn't say who the other person he was debating right. between Matisse and and hey maybe it was Dwight I don't know but uh, I, I, I guess it I guess it could in theory be Dwight against Capella but they seem pretty locked into like no, no Dwight and Simmons to get or let's let's minimize those minutes he, as much well, as possible. Well, and he's he's avoided Dwight starting even just not the fit like Dwight has not played well as a starter this year. When was the last time Dwight? started with any real consistency when Embiid was out. It's been a he, while, right? He started six games this year. I feel like he might have started like one of those last games too. They they pulled the plug on that pretty quickly because some of those games were awful. That was like at the beginning of the season when we were like, oh my God, is this going to be another year of them just being a complete train wreck without Embiid? And no, it was not a another year of them being a complete train wreck without Embiid. But part of the reason that happened is because Doc was pretty pretty quick to be like, nope, Dwight is yeah. a bench player. For a lot of reasons, he just he feels like a, a bench energy guy. Okay, um, so Dwight started the last game of the regular season, which yeah. who cares? Um, and then before that, he only had one start since uh, January 25th. So yeah, he has not been used much as a starter. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So yeah, I, I think it would be between Hill and Matisse. I, so, so my question is, because like, look, as much as we said Trey will be on Danny Green to start the game, if Matisse starts... yeah. You've got two He's options. not going to be on Danny Green to start the game. He's going to be on Matisse. And I guess my question is, like, if you're trying to – you want to play Matisse because, like, he would definitely be the guy you put on Young to start the game. And, you know, it would be a question of, all right, does he get the blocks or does he get the fouls on him? You know, is it, is it one of those type of nights? Because Trey's – I think as you as you mentioned in our preview, he shoots a lot of free throws yep. for a lot of reasons, and I'm sure – That'll add to the the villainous label because he draws them in some non-fun ways, I guess I'll describe it. He's got Embiid's respect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's got Embiid's respect despite being a foot shorter than him. Yes, they, they, they both know how to get to the free throw line. Let's put it that way. So, but my, my thing is if you have Matisse in the game and you're using Trey, you know, you're, you're using him to screen for Tobias, Ben, Seth, even you know whoever it is that you want to attack Trey, like if if Trey Young doubles that or hard hedges, then Matisse is the one who has to make the decision, you know, whether it's four on three or whatever, or or he just shoots an open three. Can he do that? And that yeah. honest, honestly, like the series might, at least the series before Embiid comes back might hinge on that specific question, like how much can you play Matisse? Because I, I'm gonna be honest, like sneakily. Didn't love his decision making in that Washington no. series. He's yep. he's lucky that it was a train wreck all around him, and he was, you know, it didn't really matter. He could get a few dunks once in a while, but there there was like one or two possessions a game where I'm thinking like, uh, what are you doing? Like what? You, that's not a pass you should make. Like maybe you should probably just shoot the open three there. But I guess we'll see. <laughs> I would I would play Hill though because I'm more comfortable giving the ball to him in those situations. Yeah. No, that is uh, entirely defensible. Um, I do think it comes down to one of those two. I think Hill's probably the decision Doc would go with. I think it's probably the right decision. Obviously, I think Matisse gives you more defensively, um, but there is a big trade-off offensively, and I think that is something you have to balance with that starting lineup. All right, so let's... Um, the Sixers' leading scorer for the series, not per game, total points. That's, that's important yeah. because... 
Big, big, big guy points per game, even at 80%. I feel even like if he's... he only plays three games, he's going to drop 30 a night. Wouldn't that be something if he dropped like 50 a game and came back? He was, he was something. Man, that would be cool. That, that would be a fun podcast. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty clearly Tobias. Yeah. I Look, the one thing I will say is it's an opportunity for both Ben to get to the basket because let, let's not pretend that the Hawks don't have other weak defenders oh, they, on this team. All up and down their roster from not only Trey Young, but I mean, you've got Lou Williams and Bogdanovich and Gallinari <laughs> oh and Lou so and yeah, like they're, they're, they're a real bad, not just like a person you can exploit. That is a team you can exploit with one really good defender on the back line. Lou is. And I remember in that, in that, that back-to-back series, Lou was just That's getting why destroyed. You're, you're, you're watching the Knicks series and you're like, what are you doing? Like you brought it up in the last podcast. Like what? There's so many matchups you can exploit, get a good favorable matchup and go to town. Yeah. And look, when they have Capella on the floor, and even when they have like DeAndre Hunter on the floor, they have some guys who are capable of helping. But you know, it's funny. Like, do you think Bogdanovich and and Herter are like, man, thank God Trey and Lou play on this team because the people just go after them while like we're like considered decent defenders on this team. No, you've got you've got Capella. Those those are favorable matchups all over the place, though. Hill, Tony Snell isn't a bad defender, but like. You're, you can pick out like three or four that are like, well, you're not going to kill them every time down the floor. The rest of them, I mean, there's a reason they were at bottom eight or so defense. Are they, are they the worst defensive team in the playoffs? I mean, the it, would you say it, they were, it, it might be either them or the Wizards. I think they were 21st in defensive rating, somewhere in that range. That was worse than the Wizards somehow. Yeah. Technically, weird, I don't know. What a it weird was, season. Yeah, like the Wizards. The the uh um the Wizards I trust... were twenty they were twenty first going on fiftieth in defense yeah. in, in a thirty team league. They were horrible. I think I think the Hawks might be a little more disciplined. I think they might have a more reliable, you know, sort of like anchor in Capella, because I think while I, I like Gafford, Capella's just more experienced, but I think the the give is shit I think is probably higher on the Hawks, but I think they have worse personnel. Uh, not when Lou, man, I, you know what? I even just com- forgot about Lou. He's like bad. Lou is going to play all the trade minutes. Lou is horrible on defense. Like he actually just lets you walk right to the rim. And I mean, like, even like if George Hill gets ma- matched up with Lou, like. I used like, to love it. Like when, when Lou back in the day, he'd get in his defensive stance and his arms would be like back here. It's like, what are you going <laughs> to do with your arms back there? You're not stopping a driving lane back there. But he used to like get in this weird like stance, like crunch down with his. His arms way behind him. It was. I, I love Lou. I love him. I I love Lou. I did not appreciate him enough in in Philadelphia for being a pretty efficient scorer. Even at that point, he got way better. Even when he when he left, but which he's uh, really not anymore. Anyway, he's he's yeah. taking a big step back. Well, he's old man. He's been he's, in the league for a long ass time. Has been look. It, it catches up to you. I I get it. He's not the player he was two years ago though. But yeah, they're like, you know, when you look up and down this this lineup. Like is Bogdanovich going to be guarding? I guess you would put him on even, on Green. Even if Collins ends up on Tobias, that's a matchup Tobias should be able to exploit too. Easily, he could he could draw some fouls if he was better at drawing fouls. Like yeah. actually, <laughs> if he actually meant to, I could do, uh, I could be a podcaster if I was better at being a podcaster. Sure, yeah, no, that's down. that's that's important. So th- look, there are, are matchups up and down the lineup, like and I. I I said this a little bit like Seth Curry against some of these guys too. He could, he could do some damage. They're probably going to need a big Seth Curry game in one of these two yeah. to get the, 
And I think it's very possible with this with this lineup and how Seth is playing right now. I, I guess you would imagine, right, that they let's say the Sixers do go small without Embiid in Game One. If that happens, hypothetical is still killing me. Uh, probably Capella guard Simmons, right? Yeah, I think that's how you maximize him as a shot blocker and a, a rim protector and just a weak side player. Most, yeah, yep. I feel like well, look, and then that, that turns into a big Tobias. Like dribble handoff with Tobias, and can you make that free throw line jumper that you make at a pretty high rate? Like that's that's going to be a big part of it. And then can you set your defense on the other end? They might be in okay shape. Uh, yeah, it's uh, they, it's funny where I'm concerned about how they're going to score offensively, but there also are a lot of opportunities up and yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. This Hawks lineup. And, you're uh, you're concerned in part because you know you're going to have to because Atlanta is going to score some points. Not so much because you don't think they can score. You, by the way, can you can you get the Ben Simmons from the the Utah game for one of these games against Capella? Go ask when they Doc put, that when they put Gobert. Yeah, no, I'm not going to ask him that. <laughs> bite my head off and say. Why I mean, look, if what? he has another game where he, he takes five five shots and they lose, and yeah, it's going to come up. But it, it's funny. Like I know you're almost like running into a brick wall when <laughs> when you have these guys at the rim. I, I would if he gets blocked a couple of times, but they're like strong, aggressive takes at Capella. I think that is even worthwhile to try and yeah. get him in, into free throw trouble like, because yeah, yeah. You, you you have to make him think about you know okay like I, I'm not guarding this guy, but if he if I give him like a a full runway downhill, he's he's thinking about scoring on me. That's all. Yeah, you you in some respects you almost have to have it like the game four against the Wizards where yeah Daniel Gafford blocked like a million and a half shots. You still have to take it at him. Because you have to get that foul trouble, because you have to get those good scoring opportunities. Um, yeah, they need they need him and Tobias to be aggressive when they have a mismatch, especially when Joel is is out of the floor. And that, yeah. Uh, all right. So in terms of what you are most concerned about, the not Trey Young edition, what is your biggest concern heading into the series? And and not not in Bede's health either. That's too obvious. I'm pretty worried about Capella offensive rebounding against a small lineup. What is the average like four a game? Something crazy. And, and when you watch them, they're impressive too. They 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 don't happen by accident. Like he's no. finding a way to knife between three dudes, three big dudes, and, and get the the rebounds. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like just keeping up with Jesus. their box scores throughout the season. Four point seven offensive rebounds per game. Yeah, in I mean, thirty minutes. I, I mean, there was a stretch in the middle of the season where like you would like read their box scores the next day. And it felt like you were always looking at fifteen points and twenty two rebounds or something like that. It uh, yeah, he's I I w- worry a little bit about like what does Tobias do raising the cat? Nice. We uh, what does Tobias do? I'm hoping if I annoy her enough, she will leave me alone. Sure. It, just like can he, can he score against a post up against these super small lineups? That's one thing, but I, I guess like to just take that a little farther out. Can he punish the smaller lineups in, in any way possible, whether that's getting offensive rebounds or rolling to the rim or whatever? I uh, th- That is pretty concerning. And I, I guess in general, it's just like, can the Sixers score enough against this team? You know, like can can Ben and Tobias like really light these guys up the way we saw in some of those Wizards games? And part of me wonders if they can, just because Capella is a pretty good defensive player when he's not guarding Joel Embiid. And uh if you get yeah. in a shootout, do you have the horses to compete? Absolutely. Uh, because there will be a game or two, especially without Embiid, where you are going to get in a shootout. Um, when, I mean, can you 
can you get out in transition? Like Atlanta doesn't force yeah. many turnovers, but they also don't turn it over all that much. What you sort of expect they would because of, of the style of play that Trey Young plays, but they're a pretty, I think, average team in terms of taking care of the basketball. Can you ramp up their turnovers so you can get out in transition so you're not relying on the half court? So if you do get in a shootout, you can compete better in that regard. Um, yeah, all, all fair concerns. Um, all right. So I, let's, and this is a little bit on Doc, too. Like, I, we, we said this a little bit earlier in the pod. I, I think he's got to be ready to switch pretty quickly. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to see for a full game Trey Young just destroying basic pick and roll coverage, especially if you go small. I, that to me, like if Tobias is your center and you're running like drop pick and roll coverage with Capella oh, yeah. and Trey, I feel like and look, we haven't really seen the Sixers go to a small ball switching lineup yet. So it's it's one of those things where it's not that I'm saying that they are going to make this mistake. I just haven't seen them in this situation yet. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to have to switch up the general defensive principles, especially if you don't have Embiid for a little bit. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's go to the, uh, the predictions and how you see it shaking out. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I see it in six. I, I think it, it's pretty clear that if that game four doesn't happen and Embiid uh, is healthy going into this series, I think the the competitive five is the the term I've I've used, and I think a lot of people have used. And, and really, when I'm saying competitive five, I mean more competitive five than the last series. Like, yeah, fine, it might be a gentleman sweep. The, the but last that, series was like an accidental five. That was an accidental five. That was the most gentlemanly sweep I've ever seen in my life. That was, I can't believe that series went, went five. I, the, the Sixers played literally their F minus game, and Bede got hurt. The bus broke down, all of those things, and they lost by, like, two possessions. Like, it really – I mean, the Wizards stunk. Th- this would be a – How are they? They Quality stink. Quality team, they stink, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this one would be – again, I'm making the comparison to the uh, the 2018 Sixers Celtics series. I don't think anybody who watched that series thought, like, oh, man, the Celtics, they just dominated the Sixers yeah. in that series. They they made all the right plays at the right time, but three of those games were super close. There was hopefully no confetti this time, but uh, maybe maybe ATL will have some some confetti down there. They haven't played in a while, uh, but yeah, I don't know. There's just I just have this sinking feeling that just like the Sixers are ready for this series more than the Hawks are, and yeah, and part of it like this could be wrong. Part of it is I wonder if the the Hawks are being slightly overrated because of a strong second half of the season. Which again was a stupid season. Like the the Wizards had a strong second half, and because the Knicks stink, and the Knicks are horrible. They're they're, they're, they're the inverse of the Wizards. They, their offense is atrocious, like a, an abomination to the game of basketball. Whereas the Wizards are their defense is an abomination. They're the inverse, the mirror image of that team. They still stink. For a playoff team, they stink. The way you phrased it a couple months ago when you said the good story of the regular season is the team you want to play in the playoffs. 100% agree. That applies to both the Wizards and Knicks. They stink for a playoff team. And look, the Hawks proved in that series, hey, they have more talent than them. They, they are better. They really should have swept them. Like, they, they had one cold shooting night, and really that was the difference between a sweep and a five-game win. The Hawks are a decent, they're, they're a good playoff team. I think Trey is an unbelievable offensive player, and he's going to be that for a long time. They have a chance to be pretty damn good in the future if they find a way to not get mismatched off the floor with uh, with his defense. But they played the Knicks. 
Like, their talent is going to look great in that series, comparatively. And for some reason, I you know, I think, like, okay, the Sixers aren't going to have Embiid. They're not going to win in five, probably, now. But I think we're going to get Embiid back at some point. Again, that's just a guess. Who knows? We'll see how he looks. So I'm going to split the difference between toss-up, easy five, and I'm going to say six. But, hey, if you, if you even if, you know, within that prediction— you could say it could go seven. I think those games in Atlanta are going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a tough place to get some wins down there. Um, but but I'll split the difference. Say they get a big Tobias series. Say they, they put Trey through the ringer enough on the defensive end that he wears down a little bit as the series goes along. And say six. But look, if he doesn't play, or he's not even close to 100%, and when I say he, I mean Embiid, um, it's it's a toss up. It's like if if you said lean hawks on that, I, I'm not uh, I'm not against you. Yeah, I, and I I kind of go back and forth on that. Um, like I said, it's it's forty five fifty five somewhere in that range. But you know, we spent a lot of time here the last couple podcasts talking about teams that stink. Um, the Hawks don't stink. They stink defensively, but they're a real good offensive team. They are a legitimate playoff team. I'm not going to say that they stink. Sixers, I do think, are better, more well rounded. But you have a player like Trey that can go off. You have Embiid, which is so much of an uncertainty in a wild card. There are a lot of different possibilities up in the air. I am going to go back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, which I think Sixers, I split the difference uh, between toss-up and the the five-game competitive five, and I will say six. But that does also mean that six game would be in Atlanta. That would be tough to win on the road, especially if Joel Embiid is not healthy or is not uh, is not available or is not effective. So it could come back to seven, and at that point, everyone will be rightly nervous, but I do think the Sixers are the better team as long as you get something out of Joel Embiid over the course of the series. Could go a lot of different ways. And it it's could. uh it I don't know. I'm looking it's... forward to it. This is a, a fun team that's you have to really game plan against. It has different ways they can beat you. That has threats that quite frankly you don't know how to stop. Um which makes it interesting. Um it should be a fun series. Yeah. They're scary too because they uh I mean, again, the Knicks were so horrible. They they had some games where they didn't even shoot it that well against the Knicks. They had some games where they were on fire. That's a, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's the, both teams kind of have similar three point shooting profiles where they can they can get hot and shoot like you know fifty five percent, but they they also don't take a ton, and they have some low volume guys who can who can get a little bit cold. But like Bogdanovich as a scorer can be very yeah. scary. <laughs> he is a dude. I mean. You know, we talk about Trey maybe attacking Seth or somebody like that. But he can attack too. Yeah. He and he, could, I mean, he, he's, you know, we brought up, uh, I don't, we didn't really mention it here, but in our, our preview piece, theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat, if you want to see the written preview a little more in depth than this. But he is a person, you know, we talk about um, Lloyd Pierce, old Sixers assistant Lloyd Pierce, had a sub 500 record. Nick, Nate McMillan took over um, right around March. They went 27-11 there to end the regular season under McMillan. A big part of that, which you brought up before the pod, was that Bogdanovich came back almost literally exactly, actually, I think it is literally, when McMillan took over. Took a couple games to get going, but then played real well down the stretch. He is a very key part of what they do. Yeah, and I think the Hawks are, I mean, that offense is pretty scary. I guess for me, it might be the the one end of the floor where I think I'd rather, if the Sixers aren't um, aren't with Embiid, I think I would rather play the pretty good offensive team versus the pretty good defensive team because 
My, my worry without Embiid is probably more on the offensive end. Oh, yeah. End. Well, like, when you start ha- asking Tobias to ramp up and be your go-to and to dribble four times and make a play happen, or you, you're relying on Ben to be aggressive in the half court, that's when you can get into trouble for sure. It just Part of it is it just feels to me like there are just enough outs when it comes to weak defenders and just overall kind of their defensive framework. Yes, it's better than the Wizards, but it just feels like there's a, a few more outs that they can yeah. – uh, they can exploit compared to some of the teams they might see in the next round. And I, I mean, I, if, if MB plays, they're going to kill him. So I, I he's agree. going to kill them and they are going to win. I agree. That's a better way to put it. All right. So Sunday, 1 PM at bad NFC East game, as you put it, uh, we are looking <laughs> forward to it. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on again, head on over to the athletic.com slash Sixers beat. There should be a, if you're not already a subscriber, there should be a, discount on a yearly subscription you can read our previews read our coverage coming up here but thank you rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon see you man